Pastor and Miss Heidi. Appreciate once again as we grab our Bibles. I'd invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 50. But I want to say once again, thank you to all those who make this service a live streaming possible, provide music, sound booth, and live streaming uh, means and methods, those who are doing security and things like that, just so many, a uh, good handful, I should say at least, of those who are here and present and making this happen so that you can enjoy it at home and we can still stay connected. I am grateful for that. There is uh, a newer element of work that goes into it, maybe a little bit extra in doing so. And so I am appreciative of that. Our message this morning, and really even this evening, is going to deal with the present situation we find ourselves in. And I trust it will be both encouraging and challenging. This morning's message is entitled this, Turning Trials into Triumphs. Turning Trials into Triumphs. We start right away with asking this question. Just how in the world do you turn a trial into a triumph? I believe that question and the subsequent answer is, uh, is needed to be addressed as much today as ever in our history. We find ourselves not just in a Michigan trial, not just in a national trial, not just in a personal trial, but in an na- international trial and pandemic. Something we have never seen before, really, in this scope and, and, and in such of an impact. It is certainly touching each one of us. It is affecting each one of us, some more directly and others more indirectly, but there's not one person here or watching that has not been touched by it. And it's growing impact and interruption and interference in our lives that grows with every day. It is literally a trial that we're all facing. I would call it a shared trial. There's not one person around that hasn't been touched or affected in one way. And I, I, I really want to speak to even our children and our teenagers in addition to our adults. Listen, every one of us are touched. I get it. This is a trial for teenagers to be disconnected from youth group and friends, to not uh, to have school being done in a different way, to uh, sports seasons being canceled, uh, extracurricular activities, other things. Boy, they are affected too. Children are affected in, in different ways, things not happening that they were looking forward to, and uh, many spring break trip canceled, whatever the case may be, we are all affected by this trial. In fact, I would put it this way. Within the larger trial, there are many smaller trials, aren't there? I mean, uh, Pastor Tony alluded to today, your greatest trial today may simply be having gone to the grocery store, or many of them, and not finding toilet paper, or bread, or milk. See, there's trials within the trials, and though you and I as adults, we might not think that uh, such a big deal to, uh, to be disconnected from youth group for a teenager, that can be a big deal. That can be a trial. And so we are all touched. It's a shared trial. We have it all in in common. And yet, as believers, I trust and hope uh, that our prayer is, I want to triumph in this trial. I want to come out victorious. I want to come out on top. I want to make sure that this trial is turned into a triumph in my life. Turning it into an opportunity to do, do much good in my own life and the lives of others, and especially for the kingdom of God. And I would submit to you this morning that I believe there is such a recipe for turning trials into triumph that is given to us within the Scriptures. But I would say this. 
And forgive this analogy, and, uh, uh, because it certainly is inept on one level or another. But if you are putting together a recipe, like I like chocolate chip cookies, I like Dr. Pepper cake, I know that's a surprise, but I like things like that, okay? Let's say you're putting together a, a batch of chocolate chip cookies, and you had a lot of the ingredients, but you didn't have a stove to cook it in. Now, some of you like to eat raw batter, okay? I get that. That's not me, okay? I don't want salmonella poison or anything else like that. I like my eggs cooked, okay? So, hey, what do you need if you have a recipe? You need an oven to shove it in there and let it cook and bake. May I tell you this? Listen, you may have and think you have everything we talk about today. You may have some of these ingredients of the recipe for turning a trial into triumph. I will tell you, though, it will not work in your life unless you have Jesus Christ first. He's like that oven. Again, an inept illustration, but it gives us the picture. You may think you have all these other things, but the fact is, my friend, without Jesus Christ, you really have nothing. He is the foundation. He is the one, as Pastor Tony alluded to this morning, we've got to come to him during times like this. Most importantly, though, to turn trials into triumphs, you need to have faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He needs to be your personal Savior. He needs to be the one that you've looked to for salvation, to gain heaven and lose hell, to pay the sins, uh, the price of your sins, to pay for your sins on the cross of Calvary as he did and trust in that. So that's first and foremost, because I'll tell you this, there is no triumph and no victory outside of Jesus Christ. We sing a great song here. It's called Victory in Jesus. Victory is in Jesus. You must be in Christ by faith in order to enjoy that victory. And I will tell you, to turn a trial into triumph, you can't do it of your own strength. You can't do it of your own power. A $1,200 check from the government won't help it. It won't turn a trial into triumph. Only Jesus Christ can. And God's Word and His Holy Spirit working in us and through us and helping us to see, well, I can turn this trial into a triumph in my own life. As we think about that and this recipe, the first thing I'd like to submit to you is this truth pretty simple. Outlook is everything. Keep in mind that there is more involved here than this present trial. It's so easy to get caught up with this, right? And, and I've had you turn to Joseph, uh, or to Joseph, yes, I have, but actually Genesis is the name of it. Uh, Genesis chapter 50, in which Joseph is presented to us. Familiar passage and familiar verses, I get that. And, and yet he is probably the best spiritual example of this truth. Have you ever thought of Joseph's life? He faced, now don't miss it, because we, we sometimes think of it, we see the whole forest, but we miss the trees. Do you realize Joseph's life was full of different, several different, difficult trials all put together. From his brothers hating him and throwing him into a pit, they wanted to kill him, and then they sold him into slavery. Then he goes to Potiphar's house, and he is in charge of all the house. He faces a great temptation to sin that, boy, appealed to the flesh, no doubt. And then he was falsely accused and thrown into a terrible prison. Then he serves in that prison, and he he is dutifully doing his job, and yet those who should have remembered him forgot him, and he's left there to rot in prison. Uh, You think about it. His life was full of different, difficult trials, all woven together by the hand of God to do something great. Yes, in his life, but also in the nation of Israel. I think that's what's amazing here. 
God took every single one of these little trials and just put them together. May I ask you this? In the midst of this large trial, you may be going through several different little trials. What's God using them to do in your life? Where is he growing you? How are the trials of your life? And I'll tell you, uh, you know, there is, there's scriptural uh, statements of it, okay? I love one of my favorite verses in the New Testament is this. Sufficient for the day is the evil thereof. <laughs> Every day has problems. Every day has troubles and trials. Young people, I'm sorry, as a teenager, as a young person, you're having to go through this. I, I, I readily admit, as a child, as a teenager, I've never gone through anything like this. As a college, I've never endured this. I, I allude to it even maybe this evening. I, we went through 9-11, but there's a big difference even with that. And yet that shook our world. That shook our foundation in some ways. Yet this doesn't really touch it with the uncertainty and things there. So I'm sorry you're going through this, but I'm not sorry because God can use a trial in your life greatly. See, so uh, yes, I I know it's tough. I know it's difficult, and these trials are present. And like Joseph, there's little trials and the big trials, and things are, are difficult and maybe not the way we'd want them to play out. And yet, here he is. He's trusting God. His outlook is right. And I'll tell you, you will not turn a trial into a triumph unless your outlook is right. When you step into every trial, when they fall on you, when the storms start to blow, if you don't have the proper outlook like Joseph shares with us here and says, you know what, God's using this as he does all the trials in my life, as he does all the tribulations and troubles and storms in my life to bring about something good. Boy, if I don't have that outlook, trials can defeat us. Trials can discourage us. Trials can drive us even away from God. You see, when all was said and done, Joseph gave us a little insight into the outlook that he maintained, that he held on to, that he made sure, okay, I'm not just going to get focused right here on this present situation and what it's doing in my life and the distraction, the interruption, and uh, how it's interfered with what I thought I I wanted and I thought was best for my life. No, he didn't focus on that. I, I think in the bottom of the pit, in Potiphar's house, there in prison, he maintained this outlook that he shares with us in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20. Look with me there, if you will. Joseph is speaking to his brothers. They're scared to death. That dad's, now dad's gone, and uh, he's going he's gonna to seek retribution, revenge. You know what some siblings say? Wait till mom and dad leave. <laughs> wait till they get out of the room. I'm gonna, well, then I'll get you, okay? And wait till they leave the house. That, that's what they're fearing here. Look at verse 20. But as for you, he's Joseph speaking to them, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. To bring to pass as it is this day, and I love this statement, to save much people alive. You know what Joseph grabbed hold of? He said this, listen, this is my outlook. All I have gone through, all of these different trials put together in my life, all that I've gone, 20 plus years that I have endured, have come together. God has wrought them together as the means for him saving many people. That's a great outlook, isn't it? He said, listen, I, I, I'm going to look past the pit. I'm going to look past Potiphar's house. I'm going to look past the prison, and I'm going to see that God has a plan in this, and he's working it all together for good. He's going to do something great from it. His focus wasn't upon the trial of the moment. And boy, can I tell you, it's easy to get caught up with COVID-19. 
It's easy to get caught up with what you're missing out on. It's easy to get caught up in how it's affecting you and what it's doing in your life and the things that you're missing out on and and conspiracies. It's easy to get our focus on those things. The pain and the fear confronting him in the bottom of the pit or the seeming hopelessness of the situation when he was rotting in the prison. Yet through it all, he clung to the knowledge uh, of heaven's view. In heaven's view, this trial is a means to an end. And Joseph determined that he would gladly endure it, that he would face it, that he would triumph in it by allowing God to use it to achieve whatever ends he deems best. I love verse 19 because you know what he says to them? Wait a second, brothers, I'm not God. And he meant it in the sense that I'm not going to exact revenge, but he also meant it this way. I'm not God. I don't control things. It, God is in control, and I trust God's wisdom, and I trust God's ways. I trust him. He says, I'm not God. Am I God? No, I'm not God. One of those great rhetorical questions of the Scripture. Am I God? No. I'm not in control of this, but I sure am thankful God is. Hasn't it been a constant comfort today and these last weeks that our God is in control? That he's in control. So Joseph held on to that. God was going to use it, this trial, allowing him to achieve whatever ends he deems best. Boy, truth be told this morning, most of us, we already know this truth. I get that. This is a familiar passage. I've preached this passage a couple times already. I know that. And yet, though we know it, here's the reality. We must apply it every day. We've got to be reminded of it. We've got to, uh, especially in the face of all the challenges, hey, young person, hey, hey, children, your life's been turned upside down. My own son, I know there's even others here, you know, he's had a birthday during this time. You know how boring it is to have a birthday at home when you can't go anywhere, can't do anything, can't even get presents, can't even order from Amazon anymore, afraid of coronavirus. Yeah, I mean, you think about that. That's difficult, isn't it? And uh, there's some of our church who've had birthdays this week, and so happy birthday to you folks. And uh, <laughs> it's hard. You can't see if people aren't there to wish us, aren't at school. I get it. That's tough. Man, that is, that's a, a difficulty. But yet we've got to remind ourselves daily, wait a minute, God's in control. God's going to do something great through this. You know, that, this outlook. See, the difficulty we find with it is waking up every day. Facing the trial and keeping the outlook that there is more to this than just what I see and am experiencing. It's so easy to get caught up in my world and how it's been affected and how it's been influenced and the things that, that I am touched, how I am touched by it. Boy, it's easy to get caught up in that. Get discouraged, get depressed, get sorrowful, get griping, get complain, uh, be complaining, uh, critical, whatever the case. It's easy to do that. So every day we've got to wake up and keep the proper outlook. We remind ourselves that I can't see all behind the scenes the work that God is busily doing. I can't see down the road to see how this is going to achieve greater things than I could ever imagine in my life, in people's lives. But faith can see that. Trust can see that. He's in control. He's the one. So faith can see that. Yay, reality is you and I just don't know the end of this trial. Boy, I hope April 13th is it, but I doubt it. I hope for the end to be soon to this. I just don't know. Neither do you, but God does. 
And God knows exactly what He's doing and how He's working it all together. And that's what we do know, isn't it? This present trial is just another means. It's one more stroke of God in, that He's using to bring about a masterpiece in my life and the lives of others. We trust Him. See, who knows? But this COVID-19 and every trial that's inherent to it may be the thing that God is using to see people saved. Maybe He's using it to see revival sparked in the homes and churches of God's people. Maybe it's even uh, He's using it to see nations that uh, are brought back to Him or, or at least reach a level of spiritual soberness that might slow them down in their progression to destruction. Who knows? I don't know what the future holds, but as the saying goes, I know who holds the future. And I know his character, and I know what he's trying to do. And I know that COVID-19, SARS, bird flu, any trial God will use, he'll put it together in a way that he deems best And my friend, he'll bring glory unto himself and he'll bring good unto people. That reality then ought to help us to be able to maintain a proper outlook. Care your age, child, teenager, college age, an adult. We ought to be able to maintain a proper outlook. So let me ask you this morning, in all seriousness, in all self-evaluation, what is your outlook this morning? The world is coming to an end. Chicken little or whatever his name is, the sky is falling. It's probably incorrect, so sorry. Um, what is your outlook? I mean, really, what have, you, what have you said through all this? Boy, it's easy to be negative, isn't it? It's easy just to get down in the mouth. It's easy just to criticize everybody and anything and just say, this is a waste. Or this is, this is, I mean, it is easy to get a wrong outlook. But I'll tell you, as a Christian, our outlook should be obvious. God has a plan. It ought to be exactly what we see Joseph. Are you constantly reminding yourself that God's at work in the midst of this trial to bring about something bigger and better than this trial? This isn't the end all of of all things. This is just another thing God is using. That ought to be our outlook. May I simply remind you, outlook is everything. You keep in mind there is more involved here than this present trial, and that'll get you through. That'll get you down the road. That's the first step of saying, okay, when we embrace it, embrace these truths that go along in it, when you personally adopt that outlook, you're one step closer to turning your trial into a triumph. Okay, now, number two, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter number 12, if you will, with me. 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. We go to another very familiar passage, and uh, certainly we know Paul is writing this, and, and that familiar passage is he dealt with a trial. How can we not look at these when we're dealing with trials? 2 Corinthians chapter number 12, look at verse number 7. Let's read down through verse number 10. Paul speaking, unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a trial. We could easily uh, equate that to a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing, this trial, I besought the Lord thrice, three times, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. 
my strength in your weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I, and now switches to Paul speaking in response, and boy, this is it, isn't it? I mean, it's such a change in Paul. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Man, I love this familiar passage with Paul. You almost read it and it would say, man, Paul's a schizophrenic. <laughs> That's split person. Okay, anyway. He's a split personality, man. He's got, he's not the same guy writing this. In a sense, you're right. It's not the same guy. Here's a guy that's reacting and responding, an author, a Christian, who's responding to the revelation of God. Listen, I ain't taking away the trial, but I am going to give you grace. I am going to give you grace. I'm going to help you through it. Kind of like Pastor Tony alluded to this morning. I'm going to yoke together with you. We're going to face it together. I, I love the human side of Paul. Because haven't we been here? I mean, I've been praying, Lord, take away COVID-19. Wash it off the earth. Send a rain. He sent rain. I don't think it washed it off. But Lord, take it away. Wash it away. I mean, take it all away. I mean, Paul did that, didn't he? He didn't just do it once. He didn't just do it twice. He did it three times. He besought the Lord that it would depart from me. I would love for COVID-19 to depart. But if that's not God's will, may I tell you, I want God's will. I want God's will. That's what Paul says here. And God says, no, I'm not going to, but I will give you the grace and strength to handle it and bear it. I'm praying. I mean this. This is my prayer. We've prayed together as a family for this. My prayer is that nobody at Fostoria Baptist Church would come down with COVID-19. That God would put a hedge of protection around us. Every member. Everyone connected. Our family and our friends too. That God would just put a hedge of protection. Or at the very least, that no one would come down with a serious case or, or great symptoms. But can I tell you, if someone in our church family comes down with COVID-19, it doesn't mean that God's mean, God's unkind. It does not mean that, that God is just uh, doesn't care. What it simply means is this. God said, uh, it's my will that person to have it and then guess what in response my prayer changes god give them the grace and strength they need to overcome this trial lord if that be healing praise the lord if that just be the strength to endure what they have to go through to recover whatever it be father give them the grace they need can i tell you that's exactly what paul did from this chapter forward, I can assure you that after he wrote this and after that occurrence in his life, Paul constantly prayed for God's grace to handle and face that thorn in the flesh. That strength and grace needed every day to deal with it, to, uh, to overcome it, to, to go on in spite of it. God gave it and he prayed for it. And we know, boy, didn't Paul triumph over it? I mean, he turned a trial into a triumph. Here he is. He's using it as a teaching point. He is triumphing in it, saying, listen, hey, Christian of, uh, of 2020, listen, you have a trial just like I do. God said he wasn't taking mine away. He might not take yours away. There is grace that is sufficient. And in your weakness, boy, God's strength can shine brightly. Boy, to help him do that, you say, okay, how did, how did Paul say that? How does Paul face it that way? Well, I'll tell you what it took is this, attitude change. Attitude is everything. Attitude is everything. 
Be grateful in the midst of a trial for the knowledge that God will still bring good from it. He may not erase it. He may not take it away from you. He may not do what you want to done with it just to take it out of your life. But you can trust him and you can be grateful that he's going to bring good from the trial. It's an amazing attitude change, isn't it? Don't miss it. He's saying what? God, take it away. I can't live with this. Father, you know this is hindering me. It's preventing me from ministering all the ways that I want to. God, if you would just remove this, maybe Paul was even to the point of despair. Lord, I can't go on with this. I can't deal with this pain. I've been sick before. I'm like, Lord, I can't go on with this. I can't face this anymore. Maybe he was like that with his thorn in the flesh, his trial. Some of you have been through health crises, financial crisis. You've been through different situation, a job situation, whatever the case may be, a trial that you faced, and literally you, you found yourself, Lord, please take this away. I can't deal with it anymore. I can't overcome it. And then all of a sudden, God speaks to him. God reveals to him that he's doing something. He's going to bring good from it, that he can triumph over the trial and in the trial and all of a sudden, how, what an attitude change. He says, most gladly will I therefore glory in this. Whoa. You're going to glory in your thorn in the flesh, your trial? Then he goes even crazier in the next verse. I take pleasure in my infirmities. Pleasure? Persecutions and tribulations? You take pleasure in these things? Uh, it's quite an amazing statement. Yet, how can that occur? How can he glory in that? How can he take pleasure in it? Well, he knows that God's grace is going to flow. He knows that God's going to bring good from a trial that's allowed to come into his life. And I put it this way. He was grateful for the trial. Because his mind and his attitude had changed. His mind and estimation was, as the trial revealed his weakness, God's strength and ability shone brightly. Now, let me ask you this. In this most recent trial we find ourselves in, don't you think uh, that it has revealed the inability and weakness of mankind? Hasn't that been exposed? That as much as we try and as much as we'd like to stop this and those in government and those in authority and those with supposed power can't really do anything about it. it. Hasn't it revealed to us how feeble and frail we are as mankind? How weak and powerless we are at times? Well, in the midst of such a trial, what better time to realize how great and powerful God truly is? See, Paul's attitude here is so contrary to the flesh. It's the normal attitude we would have in the face of such a trial. In fact, you know what he describes it? Look at verse 11. He says, I'm foolish. I'm like as a fool. I am become a fool in glory. He says, listen, from a human perspective, you, you, would, you would not look at any trial and say, boy, I'm thankful for it. Your attitude would not be, okay, God, you're not going to take it away. Then help me to have grace. Give me the day the grace and strength because I know you're going to do something good. And what an attitude Paul shares with us. It doesn't make human sense. It doesn't make fleshly or carnal sense. To be grateful and rejoice over a trial that caused him pain and inconvenience and discomfort, like the trials we face, like the trial we're going through right now. But may I put it this way? When your attitude is that of seeing every trial as an open door for the grace and goodness of God to flow, you don't mind your weakness being revealed and exposed through a storm or trial. 
You will embrace, your attitude will be, okay, oh great, here comes another trial. Oh, not another one. Ah, I can't handle this. No, you'll say, okay, I don't fully understand it. I don't fully grasp why God brought it in, but I am trusting this truth. And my attitude is, okay, God, this is just another opportunity for grace and your goodness to flow in my life. Every trial. That's, again, just as our outlook, getting it proper and right is difficult at times, embracing that so is this but oh my friend when you do that you can turn a trial into a triumph a trial an open door for god's goodness and and let's not forget this is the same guy that later would write romans chapter 8 and verse 28 and all things work together for good all things work together for good to them who are the called according to his purpose it's a great statement to them that love God. Work together for good. Paul's writing, and boy, he's lived it. He's experienced it. He knows trials and persecutions. Now, I just submit to you, don't, don't, don't miss this ingredient. It's part of the recipe, this important step. A proper attitude along with a proper outlook lets you see open doors where others only see empty walls. Okay. A proper outlook with the right attitude allows you to see open doors where others only see empty walls. There's no way through. It's just an obstacle. It's just a, it's a barrier. It's going to stop me. I can't get by it. I can't get over it. I can't get through it. And yet, if you have the proper outlook and a proper attitude, my friend, can I tell you, you'll see doors where only others see empty walls. A solid, hard wall that offers no hope. See, a proper attitude of gratefulness for a trial that is sparked by an understanding that God's great strength is manifested perfectly in my weakness and in the midst of trial. And as that understanding is correct, then I can rejoice in that. And it produces a right attitude. Okay, God, I don't know what you're doing. Boy, I'm not a big fan of COVID-19, but I'll tell you, this is another trial through which the open door of grace and goodness can be bestowed in my life and the life of others. Praise the Lord. I'll, I'll take pleasure in infirmity. I'll tell you, there's trials of all sorts. Uh, You watching from live streaming, certainly the ones here I've expressed it to and others, it is one of the most difficult things I've ever done is to preach to an auditorium that's hardly full. It's hard, and I appreciate those who have spread out. Thank you so much, the handful that are here. That helps. But it, it is a trial for me, and that's just one of many. And that pales in comparison to what many of you are going through. I get it. I understand that. But I sure am thankful that through a proper outlook and a proper attitude and a proper trust in God, you and I can turn a trial into triumph. He he can do great and mighty things through it. So can I remind you, number two, attitude is everything. Attitude is everything. Be grateful in the midst of a trial for the knowledge that God will bring good from the trial. little insight, I don't always have to know what good he's going to bring from it to know and trust him that he will bring it. See, as Paul writes this, how many of you, and you can raise your hand at home there too, how many of you have ever been blessed by this passage? I have. I've gone through trials. I've had thorns in the flesh. Man, this has been a trial. Does Paul know that? Well, we might say he's up in heaven, and maybe he's part of that cloud of witnesses, and God has allowed him to see it. But I would guess that Paul doesn't know fully the impact. The good that his trial brought. And I'll tell you, if I'm the only person this passage is ministered to, 
it has done great good. Man, he can do the same thing with your trial, with my trial, the trials that we face. So attitude is everything. You get this down, you add it to that right outlook, then you and I are close to turning our trials into triumphs. Now, let's look at a less familiar passage. Turn with me to Mark chapter 1, if you will, for our third point. Mark chapter number 1. Mark chapter number 1, and just a uh, somewhat an innocuous story. In other words, it's not very eventful. It's not one that we would readily think of per se, but I think it's a powerful um, uh, passage in truth that adds the last element, the last ingredient. Certainly there could be more that we would add, but these three, I think, are primary and should take priority in our attention. Mark chapter 1, look down with me at verse 40. We'll just read through verse 42, okay? And there came a leper to him beseeching him and kneeling down to him and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him and he was cleansed. See, outlook is everything. Attitude is everything. And then number three, outcome is everything. Outcome is everything. Ensure that no trial is ever wasted as an opportunity to bring us and others closer to him. Outcome is everything. Pastor Tony also alluded, and we could throw this in there, that there are lessons to be learned in trials. Certainly. Certainly. But even in that sense, every lesson... Has as an ultimate or umbrella uh, purpose is to bring us closer to God in line with Him and His Word and His will and His way. Now, think about it. I want you to look at verse 40 again. Would you look there? And as we read that, we understand and see in this uh, account there was great faith on be- behalf of the man, the leper. He comes to Christ. He says, Listen, I know that thou canst heal me. What's interesting in Matthew's account, Matthew says, and there's an allusion to it here. He says, uh, Mark says he came and kneeled down. Matthew literally says this He came and worshiped him. He worshiped Jesus Christ. I think already there is a seed, or maybe there's even faith already that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. There is faith, there's no doubt, because he says, If thou, can, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. So there is already an element of faith present in this man. He readily testified that Jesus could make him clean, could heal him, and he worshiped him. Now let's remind ourselves, in that day, and even uh, up until many years ago, leprosy around the world and in many places, but especially here, leprosy was a terrible tragedy. In fact, I would describe it as a great trial that would take people's life twice. Twice over. You say, how is that? Well, number one, first of all, because of your leprosy, you were separated from family, friends, and all of society. Your life as you knew it was gone. You lost that life. It was gone. It took your life. You could no longer be admitted to the city. You were cast out of it, separated from all of society, and literally left to die. You were as dead even though you were living. The living dead were the lepers in that day because they were just cast out and unclean. They'd have to declare. People couldn't go close to them. I'm telling you, it took your life before it took your life, if you could put it that way. And obviously the second thing, or the second way it took life, would eventually it would end up in a person's physical death. Taking one's life 
way too early. Now that's quite a trial to face, isn't it? We might equate it today to somebody coming down with stage 4 cancer. Someone today going through and contracting COVID-19 and having to go on a ventilator. And as I even have some extended family that is facing that and uh, touch and go. See, it's quite a trial to go through, isn't it? It's hard to see from a human perspective. How can you turn that trial into a triumph? Well, may I submit to you, and would you just think with me for a few moments? There is much in Scripture, may I say, that I like to jokingly say that we can read between the lines. We don't know all the details to people's life. We certainly don't know where this leper, this man came from. We don't know his history. But we do know that the trial he found himself in, we know what that trial is. And we know the impact that it had on his life. And may I submit to you, and do not miss this this morning, could it be that if he never had his leprosy, he may never have come face to face with Jesus Christ. You ever thought of that? I just thought of some possible scenarios. Perhaps he was a rich trader or merchant that would have had little time for religious pursuits and especially not to follow and pursue a teacher like Jesus Christ. Perhaps he was an Orthodox Jew whose rigid practice of the Jewish religion before he was sick would have caused him to look at Jesus Christ as a false teacher, a a traitor to his religion, uh, someone who was more like the Antichrist than the Christ. Perhaps, maybe, this man was a displaced Gentile, that when he was healthy, he had little but disdain for any Jew, especially someone that spoke of God and of heaven and dying to self. No matter what scenario, one of those or another is true, boy, how this trial had changed his life. With his life turned up, signed down, what may have seemed unlikely or impossible was now happening. He found himself face to face with the Savior, the Savior of the world, all through the trial. See, the world would look at this story, and what would the world say? Ah, The greatest outcome to this was that he was healed physically. He got cleaned of his leprosy. God told him, Jesus Christ said, hey, go show yourself to the priest. You can go back into your life. You can go back to the life you lost. But I would disagree. I believe the greatest outcome of this trial was that the man's faith grew exponentially. And though we don't know for sure, I really do believe that this man trusted in Christ as his Savior, that he was the Messiah. And yet, there was a greater outcome. Look at verse 43 with me. Notice what it says. And he, that's God, Jesus Christ, straightly, straightly charged him, the leper, and forthwith sent him away. And he said unto him, See thou say nothing to any man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priests, offer for thy cleansing those things which Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. I love verse 45. You might say it's disobedience. I get it, but I'll tell you, it was from a true heart. Notice it. But he went out, and he began to publish it much, and to blaze abroad the matter insomuch that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city, but was without in the desert places, and do not miss the last statement. And they came to him from every quarter. Man, that's hallelujah ground, friend. 
I mean, that, whoa, this trial, what it wrought. The man was so moved and so touched that he spread the very name and fame of Jesus Christ all abroad. He caught people's attentions through his proclamations of his own healing, the benefit that he received at the hands of Jesus Christ. Here was a man who used his trial to bring others, people to Christ. It brought him to Christ. He grew. If he was already saved, his faith grew. If he wasn't saved, certainly I believe he came to know Jesus Christ. At the very least, people came to hear Jesus Christ. They came from all around after hearing this man's testimony. May I tell you this morning, I sure am thankful this trial wasn't wasted. It brought many people to him. Now, this begs the question of you and I. Are the trials in my life wasted because they bring neither me nor anyone else closer to God? This is a frank, sharp statement, but I think it's altogether true. See, A trial, truly a trial is wasted if it doesn't move a person closer to God in faith, in dependence, or in worship. It's a wasted trial. And yet we all have trials. And so the teenager, the young person that is lamenting what you've lost, what you had to go without, parents whose lives have been turned upside down and priorities have been shifted and rearranged. And listen, if we don't have the proper outlook and attitude and the proper desire or the desire for a proper outcome, we will waste a trial that could draw us closer to God, that could draw others closer to God through my trial, through the trial they're facing. You see... The outcome is everything. Man, I would hate, that's a strong word, but I mean it. I I would hate for this trial and pandemic to be wasted in someone's life because you didn't purpose to use it to draw closer to God or to encourage others to do likewise. I would hate for it to be wasted because you didn't see it as an open door for God's grace and strength to be poured out in your life and the life of others. It would be a waste if you didn't see it as part of God's big, great plan to bring about good in your life and in the life of others. Can I just remind you, even through COVID-19, the desired outcome is not just to survive, just to get back to normal, just to get it out of our lives and out of our thinking, no friend. Outcome is everything. Ensure that no trial is ever wasted as an opportunity to bring us and others closer to him. Can I tell you, my flesh says, I just want everything to go back to normal. That's my prayer. Boy, I I want things just to get back to normal. But can I tell you, my spirit in understanding God's word says, God, I want you to do what you need to do through this trial. I want you to accomplish what you desire to accomplish. And and Lord, though I want it gone, more so than that, I want your will to be done. And you know where it starts? It starts in our lives individually. What do you want to do here? How do you want to use this trial? What is the good you want to bring about? Have I shut that door of grace and strength because I've tried to do things on my own? What is the effect? Are you literally treating this present trial as a means to a greater good or has it become more of a stumbling block in your faith? And walk with the Lord. It has caused your faith to weaken. Your questioning of God and His ways more. May I ask you this? How are you turning your trial into triumph? In 1948, on July 19, 1948, there's an article in an edition of Time magazine, and there's a heading entitled National Affairs. And under the subheading of heroes, there was a heroine, a a lady hero, that is presented. She was a young woman newly awarded the Medal of Freedom. 
a lady they called Joey. Joey was, in fact, Mrs. Josefina Guerrero from Manila in a society, a society figure in her native country of the Philippines. During World War II, Joey was a spy. She was on our side. She was the best. For all the secret maps and the messages she carried back and forth across enemy lines, she was never apprehended and she was never searched once. How Joey was able to achieve her remarkable wartime record is the rest of the story. Some of you now know where I got this from. Paul Harvey. Josefina Guerrera was the toast of Manila. She was young, pretty, vivacious. Her husband was a wealthy medical student at Santo Tomas University. Everything was going her way. That was before the war. After the Japanese invaded the Philippines, Josefina joined her friends, the other young matrons of Manila, and together they worked to help the internees and the U.S. prisoners of war, bringing them food, clothing, medicine, and messages. When the Americans landed on Leyte, an island in the Philippines, Josefina offered to become a spy. She had already gained valuable experience in the Manilan underground. She would be the best spy the Americans ever had, she said. And we, smiling at her youthful enthusiasm, agreed. On her first mission, she mapped the waterfront fortifications of the Japanese and the locations of enemy anti-aircraft batteries. Armed with Nothing more than a sketchbook and a pencil, she prowled through restricted areas, recording all that she saw. From Josephina's drawings, American planes were able to pinpoint their targets. The success of this and subsequent uh, missions earned Josephina the respect of her allies and brought her the affectionate nickname, Joey. Joey, it seemed, could do no wrong in pursuit of the espionage. Because of her conspicuous bravery, many near-impossible tasks were accomplished in the line of duty. One mission alone took her through 56 miles of Japanese encampments, checkpoints, and freshly sown minefields. With a top-secret map taped to her back, she trudged through 56 miles on foot. For three years, Joey continued her cloak-and-dagger career. Then one day, the war was over. And with it ended Joey's job as a spy. A grateful U.S. War Department awarded her the Medal of Freedom with Silver Palm for having saved, quote-unquote, untold American lives. Visiting the United States, Joey was presented with a Catholic medallion from Francis Cardinal Spellman for her, quote, valorous and heroic actions. But if there was one testimony to her ultimate success in espionage, it was that this. She simply lived to tell about it. Joey, Josefina Guerrera, was never caught. Stopped many times by suspicious Japanese, she was never apprehended, never even searched. For Joey had a secret weapon, an unconditional insurance policy to which any other spy would be unlikely to subscribe. They wouldn't have wanted it. It was an impenetrable barrier, if you will. Her unfailing deterrent to those who would detain her was an authentic disease called leprosy. Her trial was leprosy. My friend, can I tell you, 
to the aid of America, she turned her trial into triumph. What are you doing with your trial, friend? How have you handled it? Is your outlook right? Is your attitude right? Are you desiring the proper outcome? My friend, I would encourage you, as we enter into an invitation, would you apply it in different ways? Would you take away something today and question and answering? Number one, would you do this? Would you um, ask about your own life? I have died. If you could advance the slide. Would you ask about this in your own life? Has this trial served as the impetus to get you more in God's Word and into your prayer closet? Boy, if so, that would turn this trial into triumph, wouldn't it? I mean, if it drew you closer to God by reading His Word and studying it and praying more about it, shame on us. I mean, shame on us if it has doubled or tripled our reading of news stories rather than our reading of God's Word. Or it's produced more conversations with others about this trial than it has produced more prayer time and conversations with God about it. Shame on us. God wants to do a mighty work. And only you can turn a trial into a triumph in your personal life through a proper outlook, a proper attitude, and a desire for the proper outcome. Number two, not just your, not just your own life, but let me ask you this. In your family, has the trial served to strengthen the spiritual cords that your family holds, that holds them together and holds them to the Lord? Has it produced spiritual fruit in your children, providing opportunities of more time spent together for the benefit of growing them in Christ, uploading into them the Word of God and His precepts, smoothing out some of the rough rough corners, exposing some areas in need of growth and training? We have more time together, it seems. This could be a trial that God uses wonderfully in a family to get some things back under His control. To reorganize life around him and his ways. To reevaluate how the family is doing with attitudes and actions. One more trial, part of the big picture in God's hands, to make your family and my family more holy, more like Christ. To bring him glory. Is that your outlook? I fear many have just wasted it with more screen time. I fear many have wasted it in pursuits that will not mean anything. Is that your outlook? Is that your attitude? Is that the outcome that you are working for right now in the midst of the trial? May I say it should be? Moms, your children are at home more. Dads, you might have more time at home too. And I know that means a whole lot more work. I know that means a change of priorities. But may I also submit to you, it means a whole lot more opportunity. God wants you to use this trial. Whether you turn this trial into a triumph depends much upon your proper outlook, your proper attitude, and your desire for the right outcome. Last but not least, number three, in your friends and extended family is the trial producing spiritual rebirth, growth, interest. Have you seized upon the amazing opportunity to talk about the brevity of life, the reality of eternity, and the devastation of sin? Have you reached out in a phone call, a text, or an email, uh, or even face-to-face with a coworker or a family member, and after a conversation about the current trial that we all share and are facing, have you turned the topic, have you steered it towards talking of Jesus Christ in eternity and the free gift of salvation? 
See, a proper outlook tells us that God wants this most recent trial to bring someone along the path to him, much like that leper. A proper attitude will rejoice in the added attention and focus that this trial gives people toward the brevity of life in thoughts of death. Do you realize that this trial, probably unlike any other, is constantly reminding people of death day by day? We look to see how many deaths in Michigan. What better time to speak of someone who came to defeat death? Jesus Christ. Proper attitude rejoices in that opportunity. Proper outcome would be one salvation, or at the very least, the watering of the seed with the truth of God's Word. May I simply ask you in this way, these ways, are you turning this trial into a triumph? Outlook is everything. Attitude is everything. Outcome is everything. We'll leave this slide up during the invitation, and I want to ask you, let's prayerfully ask God. Is my outlook right, Father? You know my heart. Is my attitude right? Is the outcome that I am desiring through all this in keeping with what you desire? Heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, we thank you so very much for uh, this day you've given us. We thank you for the exhortment the encouragement, the challenging, the smiting of our heart, the confrontation that your word produces. Help us now, Father, whether we're there at home or we're here in this auditorium. I pray that we would examine our hearts. Lord, you know what our outlook has really been. You know whether it's been scriptural like Joseph. and Father, we've just seen it as one more trial that you're going to use. Or, Father, it's our outlook has been glum that we've been discouraged and in despair over this father you know our attitude whether we've been grateful and we've taken pleasure in this opportunity now to uh, to speak of you and lord that you will pour in grace and goodness in our lives in spite of the trial lord or if our attitude has been not all it should be father you also know whether we've had the right desire for the right outcome whether we've been more concerned with just getting through it just surviving it, making the best of it, instead of desiring for souls to be saved and our own hearts drawn closer to you and that of our family and friends to know you better. Lord, convict us where it's necessary. Encourage us where it's necessary. Minister and uplift the trodden soul today. Lord, uplift the discouraging spirit today. And then, Father, where we have failed, lift us up, help us, give us the strength from this day forward to turn this trial into a triumph. We know it's your heart. Now, work in us and through us to see it accomplished. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I ask you to join me in standing here in the auditorium, even there at home if you'd like to. The piano begins to play, and so let's kneel. Let's take some time to meet with our Heavenly Father.